Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. The Fifth Commandment basically said, honor your mother and your father. What does that mean? Well, when a husband and wife get married, the first rule from God is in Genesis, leave and cleave. I leave my parents and I become a new entity. That's why I'm cleaving to my spouse. That doesn't mean I forget my parents. I still honor them, but I have a new relationship. And by the way, one of the major problems in marriages, one of the four major problems in marriages, is in-laws. Because you don't leave them. They tie in money and all kinds of things. So God said wisely, leave and cleave to the new one. God's word is true. It's timeless. From Genesis to Revelation, we've been given all we need to live life right. But as we'll learn today, there have been people throughout the years who've tried to add to or take away from what God had already established. They attempted to add traditions and unbiblical doctrines to the mix. They tried to add to the salvation equation. But what we must remember is that we're commanded to not add to or take away from God's Word. We're to proclaim the truth and uphold the Scriptures. We need to remember that our salvation comes by grace through faith and grace through faith alone. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 for part one of our message entitled, Clean Hands or Clean Heart. Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now when the Bible uses the word heart, it doesn't mean our physical heart. You know, to to guard my heart, my physical in my chest here. It's talking about the real you, the center of our human activity, the real spirit. Notice it says it's the wellspring of life. Our heart, our spirit is comprised of our intellect, our emotion, and our will. And out of that inner part of us, the part that is the real me, the part that speaks to God, out of that springs emotions and thoughts and motivations and actions and just morality. It springs from that. So as we study about our hearts today, it isn't some physical thing you can get your hands with or do surgery on. It's It's the real me. It's the real you. And we hear through Scripture many things that show us that. Hide God's Word in your heart. The Bible talks about a heart yielded to God. A troubled heart. A stony heart. A hard heart. A new heart. So it has to do with the real you and the real me. Let's take a look and see, back in the book of Mark, what Jesus is talking about as he'll share with us this morning about clean hands or a clean heart. Verse 1. Now the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. That is, unwashed. The Jewish religious leaders came to Galilee. They didn't come to be impressed by the teaching of this new prophet, they came to find fault. 
Now, the reason they were there is down through the centuries, God had given the Ten Commandments to the Israelites to guide them in their walk, in their way of living. The Jews felt that they had to add to God's word. It was a good thing initially. They were going to show you and I, if we had lived in that time, how to really interpret what God was saying. So they began to add this system of rules that circled God's commandments. It became so vast that it was this rigid system by the time Jesus came. And it was this system of tradition, men's traditions, that were enforced by the religious leaders that said to a person, you must obey all of these things to be right with God. Now, later on, these rules, which were passed down orally, about 200 years after Christ, they were written down into something called the Mishnah. This morning, I'll give you an idea of what it was like to try to serve God in the Pharisees' time. In this time, there were 613 additional commandments to serve God. How many have trouble with 10? <laughs> we really have trouble with two, don't we? Because Jesus broke it down to two. Love your neighbor as yourself and God with all your heart. So we can imagine these. And out of these, 248 of those were positive. 365 of those were negative. One for every day of the year. A negative command. Isn't that exciting? Now to give you an idea what it was like, one of the things that the Jewish leaders wanted to do is to protect people from working on the Sabbath. Sabbath was a holy day. The Jews felt you had to not work on that day. You couldn't work. And of course we see later that Jesus frees us from that and every day is a day to worship God. But here's an example of what, if you were trying to serve God, what you would have to do. You could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Because if you looked in the mirror on the Sabbath and you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out. And if you pulled it out, it was constituted what? Work. Now some of you have been very busy on the Sabbath. <laughs> some of the rest of you, like Charlie said, no sweat. Here's for some others. Don't tell us who you are, but if you wear false teeth, you couldn't put them in that day. Why? Well, if you didn't have your fast teeth or whatever that stuff is that goes up there, if you didn't have it right and you bent over and your teeth what? Fell out, you had to leave them there. <laughs> Literally, you couldn't pick them up because that was work. <laughs> Great time serving God. And here's one. Not only have 613 of those, how to serve God, but the rabbis like to come up with the what-ifs. Here's really one that was found in the history of the Jews, what they what if What about a man with a wooden leg who's in a house, his, and the house catches fire? Can he carry the wooden leg out on the Sabbath without working? Now, how he would carry it out with the wooden leg in his hand, I'm not sure, but that's what they questioned. Now, if you think about that and you start adding all up together, what do you end up with? You end up with bondage. Religion to the common man and woman was legalism, bondage, no joy, no fun, no excitement, nothing. What happened really was the Jewish leaders, they became self-righteous. They became pious. 
they became obnoxious. And they would look down on the common person trying to be right with God. And they'd always say to you, you're not good enough. You didn't do it right. You can't do it. So what did it leave the common person, which was basically most of us? It left us frustrated, condemned, not wanting to even try to be right with God because we knew we could never keep all those rules and regulations. So this was the setting that the Pharisees came. Now, one of the major things was the Sabbath. The other real major thing was cleanliness, ceremonial cleanliness. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Being clean to be able to worship God. There was a certain things that you had to do physically to be able to offer sacrifices to worship God. If you weren't clean, you couldn't worship God. Now, it had a good setting back in Leviticus, which was only for the priests, but they extended that to all the people. And we'll see that that's what they're talking about here. So let's take a look at verse 3 as we move along. Now, the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. In other words, it wasn't in the Bible, but this was man's tradition. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Now, in this 186-page Mishnah book, which gave you all these rules and regulations, 35 pages told you how to make your pots and pans ceremonial clean. 35 pages. A little different than pop them in the dishwasher, isn't it? 35 pages. Now, here's what would happen. Because their number one goal was to be pure before they could worship God, a Jew would go into town and he might buy some things and exchange it for money. And the coin he got back, he wouldn't know who touched it last. So before, as he went home, before he would worship or before he would eat, he would go through this elaborate ceremonial cleansing of his hands because he's touched something that is unclean. And we know that they would pour water over this hand and do it in a special way and then drip it like this so that the water wouldn't get down the wrist. And then when they did this hand, they do that. And then they would turn their hands this way and add the water drip off. And that way now they were clean and they could eat. And of course, Jesus' disciples weren't doing this. Secondly, when they would go into the marketplace, they would often brush up against another person. And this other person, they would call unclean, like all Gentiles were unclean. And any Jew that didn't abide by their rules was unclean. There's many people that believe when they went home, they just didn't do this little cleansing or whatever of their hands. They actually took a full bath because they were unclean from touching those people. Now you can imagine what happens when that goes on in their lives, how full of ritual they'd become and actually obnoxious, as we said. Look at verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to not to God's word, but to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands. The Pharisees were delighted, what? To see that Jesus' disciples were eating in an unceremonial fashion. Why? Because that meant Jesus, who was teaching them, had broken the law, their law too. They loved it. Now, how would Jesus respond to this accusation that he wasn't keeping the law? He responds in verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Whoops, 
as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is an important point for you to remember. When someone questions you about a belief, you ought to be able to answer them from the Word. And that's what Jesus does. See, if we can't find our beliefs in the Word, then they may be good, they may not be good. And what Jesus is saying here, this has already been predicted by somebody you well know. His name is Isaiah. It's a prophet. And what he's saying to you guys is this. He's saying true worship is from the heart. But you guys aren't worshiping in a true fashion. These religious people had a, a love for God outwardly through all the washings. But Jesus is saying to them, inwardly, you're just filled with sin and corruption. If we could put it in today's language, Jesus would say to these people, you're spiritual phonies. You look great outwardly. But the real thing of worship comes from our hearts. Now, could this morning our worship, even in, in our building today here, could our worship have come from our lips and not from our heart. Did anybody think that could have happened as we worship for a half hour? Sure. How many think it definitely happened to you? Ooh, God's looking at your heart. How many know when you worship, a million things go through your mind? Yeah. Well, what happened to your heart when that happened? Every day I, I have a school tomorrow, and a school and a meeting this afternoon, and you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That's what happens. So don't go and look at these Pharisees like, man, bad guys. Hold on. Because many times it takes four of you to get us going. And the rest of us are all off in la-la land here. There's no true worship. And what you're really seeing here, I believe, from this, is Jesus is trying to say this. You've honored me with your lips, but your heart's a long way away. As we sit in the church today, we can be bathed, deodorized, perfumed, hair shining, or head shining, sharply dressed, <laughs> sharply dressed, smiling, singing loudly, hands raised from time to time, yet inwardly where God looks, there's bitterness, anger, resentment, unconfessed sin, unforgiveness. Now when that happens, what kind of worship does Jesus call this? Look at the next verse. This is really important. Verse 7, he says, They worship me in what? In vain. In other words, it's useless. Now, be careful what you think true worship is. True worship has really nothing to do with form. There are many churches this morning much more liturgical than us. It's quiet. There's an organ. You would never see any of this. Can they be worshiping God in that quiet way? Absolutely. And then we have people, the only time they see their seed is when they pass it. Because in their worship, they're all over the place. Could that be true worship? Yes. Our worship is what you saw this morning. That's who we are. Now, we, we don't go to that extreme and to that extreme, but we do have hymns, and we slow down, and sometimes we sing a cappella and whatever. But see, the key is not that. The key is that it comes from where? From the heart. You will worship something. And so what we see here, I think is very important. There's a few funnies that I'll give you, and see how many of you remember old hymns, but... Sometimes this is the way our worship is, even though the song title isn't this, this is what some lukewarm Christians would sing. See if you can help me with these. I surrender some. 
What should it be? Oh. Oh, how I like Jesus. Instead of love. He's quite a bit to me. And most of you don't. He's all the world to me. Here's the best one. Take my life and let me be. <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Take my life and let it be unto you. Totally consecrated. So we see some of these. Here's a, here's a good one for the end of you. Onward Christian Reserves. <laughs> and when the saints go sneaking in. Now, true worship is not that way. If it doesn't come from a heart, it's vain. Their lip service meant nothing. They were hypocrites. Verse 7 continues, Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus says, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So you're going to see the focus this morning. It's the commands of God, the Bible, versus the traditions of men. Now, in the overhead, you're going to see an important point. You need to understand that God's commandments are good for us. When you see the, the commandments that are in the Word of God, the Ten Commandments and all the principles in the Word of God, they're not negative. They're good for you. They're good for me. A loving God said, here's the boundaries that you will live in. I know, man, I put these boundaries around a protection for you. Very interesting situation that took place in a schoolyard where there was a big fence at the back of the schoolyard and the kids would go out and play and they're always playing around the whole yard just having a great time and doing whatever and lots of times they played by the edge of the fence or whatever and they were protected from the traffic and from the all kinds of things that could have got them into trouble somebody overnight took all the fences down and they watched the children the next day at play at recess time the children are all huddled in the middle of the playground afraid to move didn't know where to go. You see, there was no guidelines now. So when God gave us his word, he gave us his great big playground to have fun in. But there is a fence. And those are his commandments. And those commandments, by the way, never change. They're good for all eternity. Now, why did he put them there? To protect you and to protect me. They're not bad. Now, sometimes we don't understand those fences. And many of you come and you're new and you don't understand them. And and uh, there's lots of times I have a great time in premarital counseling because couples come and they just came to the Lord and they don't really understand and they, they've been sleeping together and didn't know the Bible says it's wrong. They know adultery's wrong, but they didn't know they couldn't sleep together. They're going to get married and whatever. And I say, well, no, you really have to separate and here's why and we're going to do it. We do. And then a few months later, they come back after they've done that and we go through the marriage ceremony and all that and they've been pure for those next three or four months or whatever it is. They go, we didn't believe we could do it, but man, it's a great feeling. God helped us. Well, why? Because the fences are good. They're there for a reason. And the fences God gave were purposely to protect the people. But now here came the Jews who said, these fences aren't enough. Let's add some more. And pretty soon there's where the people are. They can't move because of all the rules and the regulations. Do you know there's churches like that today? There is no freedom of worshiping God. Did I do it wrong? What, condemned. What happened? Whoop. But God said, no. Here's a big playground. Have fun. So don't think God's commands are wrong. 
It's just that what man did with him. Now their intention was good, but they went too far. There was no freedom. First John 5, 3, by the way, says, This is the love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, look at verse 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God to observe your own traditions. But what does he mean by that? Here's what happened. Here's God's commands. They were obeying God's commands. Then came the oral law, the Mishnah. And before long, these became unequal. Then as time went along, this is what happened. This became important, more important than God's word. And then if you see there, you see something very important. He says, you've abandoned. Now what do we have left? Man's tradition. And the Word of God, the truth of God, the freeing principles of the Word of God are gone, and we have man's ideas how to live. Is that a picture of where we are today, or what? Is that a picture of many of our churches today, or what? Meant well, but the Word of God isn't even taught. It's man's ideas, man's rituals, man's guidelines. And it leaves people, really, without any freedom at all. That word there, when you see it being abandoned, that word, I looked it up in the Greek, means discarded. The word is sent away. The law is just totally done away with. The Bible isn't even effective in their lives anymore because it's not important. So Jesus says to them, you've just done away with God's commands. And you're obeying nothing but man's traditions. Now to show them that he knew what he was talking about, he shows them a religious loophole. Let's look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Aren't you glad, teenagers, you don't live in, under the law? Most of us wouldn't be here. Notice, verse 10 is the fifth commandment. Obey, the, honor thy mother and father. Verse 11, but you say, in other words, forget what God says, but you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban. That is, a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. This is just one example. Many things. Let's talk about Corbin. The fifth commandment basically said, honor your mother and your father. What does that mean? Well, when a husband and wife get married, the first rule from God is in Genesis... Leave and cleave. I leave my parents and I become a new entity. That's why I'm cleaving to my spouse. That doesn't mean I forget my parents. I still honor them, but I have a new relationship. And by the way, one of the major problems in marriages, one of the four major problems in marriages, is in-laws. Because you don't leave them. They tie in money and all kind of things. So God said wisely, leave and cleave to the new one. Now as time goes on, what happened here in this particular story, and I'll just give you this as an idea. Let's say my wife and I are married, and, and my father is still alive, my mother is dead, and, and my dad is getting older, and he needs some help with a bill or a hospital or something, and I have $500, and I want to help my dad. In today's message, we were reminded that God's Word is good, and it's been given to us for our own benefit. It's not meant to be a book of do's and don'ts, but it's a book that births faith. It's a book that shows us what's right and what's wrong. When we ignore parts of God's Word or add to it, the message gets muddied up. 
When you do that, you're in danger of falling into the deceitful traps of the enemy. Facebook and Twitter have become a regular part of our everyday lives, and we want to be sure to encourage you to check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links. You can find information about everything that's happening at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share with us that man's traditions will never save you. Understand that it doesn't matter how much good you do or don't do. That will never determine your salvation. The only way we can be saved is by what Jesus already did. It's because of His shed blood that we're cleansed and forgiven. And because we're saved, we'll do the works that God has prepared for us to walk in. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.